to me, my balloonyacs. Aeronaut Zack here with your friendly neighborhood content warning. That part was Spider-Man, not X-Men, but we're going with it. This is a podcast where we let the internet ask us questions, and that is always a mistake. So, we are sometimes uh, adult-themed adjacent, and we will say all of the naughty words. Now, on with the show. Hi everybody, I'm Tyler. And I'm Zach. We're your Aeronauts, and we're back with more Word Balloons. We've been hanging out in Azeroth, just soaking in the mystical vibes, but it's time to finally start our trip to... to... to Westchester? You can pick a different X-Men place if you want. I picked the most boring option. I... we're going to Westchester. <laughs> can... can... uh, editor and stowaway Steven here, can... can we make at least a pit stop in Genosha, or... Literally anywhere more exciting. Genosha's a graveyard. That would be a super bummer place to go. Um, the moon base. <laughs> <laughs> to Krakoa. Anywhere. Look, I... More from interesting, what I under, please. From what I understand, we've been promised rides in the Blackbirds when we get there. Oh, yeah, that's cool. As long as the basketball court will open up, I'm fine with it. Cool. Okay. I guess we're going to Westchester. All the way from Azeroth, this is going to be a tough journey. I'm going to start trying to figure out how we're going to get there. But until we figure that out, Zach, what's our question this week? Was an X-Men villain group based off of a sex club? I think I have the short answer for this. Go ahead. Technically, yeah. Yep. Please? The Hellfire Club specifically is based off of a Regency-era sex... I mean, they called it like a, a gentleman's club or... But it was... It was a sex club. Uh, the Hellfire Club... The first one was created in the early 18th century, the second one in the later 18th century. The Francis Dashwood's Order of the Friars of St. Francis of Wycombe was a meeting place for, quotation marks, people of quality to gather up and do fake Satanism and orgies. Yes. I'm interested in both the fake Satanism and the orgies. Um, were, were they one and the same, and how were they fake Satanism? Uh, the first one was the Duke of Wharton's Club, and the second one was Sir Francis Dashwood's Club. I just like that name. Like, it's Sir Francis. He was a rich bitch in the 1700s in England. Fun fact, Benjamin Franklin was probably a member of the second club. At the very least, we know for a fact that he went to a couple of their meetings. Oh, what little I know about Ben Franklin definitely makes me think that's true he was franklin was a himbo he was freaky <laughs> he was down to clown b franks like to sling around his beef frank there is Ill literally illustrations of him hooking up with people that like one of his buddies drew <laughs> which like, yeah weird buddy fanfic porn was something that we don't talk about with the founding fathers which often. we should because that's fucking cool as shit <laughs> <laughs> the, i love that he was out there just letting his free flag fly that is my kind of man <laughs> uh the the most famous hellfire club sir francis dashwoods wasn't actually called the hellfire club at the time they came up with various stupid names including the brotherhood of saint Francis of Wye, the Order of Knights of West Wycombe, the Order of the Friars of St. Francis of Wycombe, and a few others. The monks or friars of Medimham. They would show up to this, usually an old abandoned abbey, and they would do fake Satanism stuff because uh, her, her. You know, I mean, th this was literally illegal in Britain at the time, so that was, I don't know, fun for them? 
Uh, and then afterwards, they would go hang out in a bunch of caves and have orgies. We don't really know who the members were, not that any of us would know who, like, 1750s British Parliament members were in the first place. Oh. But they burned... You'd be surprised. <laughs> I keep a list. They burned all of the papers of membership because they went, wow, that's a really bad idea. <laughs> yeah. Um, the most famous story of the Hellfire Club, other than orgies was one of the members got really bored during the Satanism parts because it was pretty much just go to mass, but, you know, cheekily and hail Satan. So he apparently hid a baboon in a box and they and he, like, put a devil mask on the baboon. And he waited until he got bored in the middle of the mass and opened up the box and this, like, pissed-off baboon that's been stuck in a box and has a mask tied to his face burst out and started causing havoc and people lost their shit. Rightly so. <laughs> Understandably so. And then the baboon, like, escaped out the window and they never saw it again. I hope it's okay. <laughs> it, well, I mean, it's dead now, but, like, I hope it was okay at the point that it got out of there. It, probably not, but, like, Jesus. It's time for the Ghost Monkey song. There is a YouTube series called Ruining History that has an episode on the Hellfire Club. If you want deeper investigation, that's where to go to. But that does explain why the X-Men Hellfire Club all wear, like, Regency-era suits and or bondage gear, depending on, well, depending on your gender, honestly, like... Wow, this definitely, uh, in... Yeah, that really paints why they made, um... The White Queen wear a corset and a cape with fur? Yep. Yeah. That was exactly what I was trying to find the words to say, so thank you. Meanwhile, Sebastian Shaw just hangs out in a very uncomfortable-looking suit. Like, I... Yeah. Doesn't, doesn't he have, like, some... What's the... He's the got the ruffles. Cumberbund. In... Not Cumberbund. No, Cumberbund is around the... the, the, the um, uh, pirate ruffles, but not pirate <laughs> ruffles. Uh, Ascot? Cravat? Cravat. I think it's cravat. Um, I, I don't like that kind of fashion in that it seems restrictive, so I don't know any of this. And if we said what was wrong, please. Also, he wears, like, breeches and the tights and stuff, and none of it looks... Oh, yeah, it looks super uncomfortable. How do you fight Colossus while wearing that? I mean, how does Emma Frost do literally anything she does in literally any costume she's ever had, but... Fair. Fair. Uh, all right, so in order to start off this journey... Our our balloons computers been a little bit in contact our with Xavier. Has computers? How do you think we got to <laughs> Azeroth? We're we're going all over the multiverse. We're plugged in. Luckily, part of the technology is reclaimed from an alternate universe busted up Cerebro. And so, in order to hone in on Westchester, Xavier sent us the profiles of a few different minds of some people connected to the X-Men through the years. We're going to see what you might know about them, see if it brings us closer to, you know, our most exciting destination. <laughs> Look, I, I'm, I'm getting this list in from X, and honestly, some of these are the biggest gimmies that we will ever get, but some of them are a little bit more tenuously connected. We'll see what, we'll see what actually happens here. Uh, this first one... I would say is now the most well-known unknown uh, with Negasonic Teenage Warhead. I can tell you most things about Negasonic Teenage Warhead. Uh, Negasonic Teenage Warhead was originally created in a like throwaway thing by Grant Morrison and Frank, Frank Quitely in New X-Men. I think it was number one. 
she was a student of Emma Frost that was on Genosha when Genosha was destroyed by the big sentinel thing that Cassandra Nova sent to blow it up. Um, she was brought back during the Astonishing X-Men run, or sort of brought back, uh, from Joss Whedon and John Cassidy, where... I have read this storyline several times, and I'm still not 100% sure what goes down here, so I'm just going to get that out of the way. They are The X-Men are attacked by the Hellfire Club, but it's not actually the Hellfire Club. It is Emma Frost's guilt and her telepathic powers, like her survivor's complex from being the only survivor on Kenosha, mixed with her telepathic powers creating a, like fake attack on the X-Men, if I have that right? Yeah, actually, that is right on. Like, I have read that several times, and I'm still like, is that... What little I know of X-Men, that seems to track. Uh-huh. She, uh, Negasonic in this version, attacks Kitty Pride, where Kitty remarks, wow, we really have run out of uh, game names. She is later brought back in the first Deadpool movie. I don't know what Negasonic's original powers were. She wore all black and white and her skin was all white. Um, she's brought back in the Deadpool movie where she is Colossus's trainee who has the power to kind of make explosions. She's basically cannonball. Yeah, but she can't like fly with it from mm. what I can tell. And instead of being, like, weird gothy girl, she becomes awesome punk chick. Yeah. She was ra she was my favorite part of that she movie. She was the best part of that movie. Well, they yeah. No, I liked her, and then Colossus, and then everything else. Yeah, exactly. 100%. Um, Except T.J. Miller. Unfortunately, I liked T.J. Miller's portrayal of Weasel. I didn't know the character, and I was like, this guy's weird. Why is he here? Because Deadpool has to have one shitty friend. He has to have a friend. I wish it wasn't. <laughs> yeah. I wish the guy wasn't actually shit. I will give you this. I'm, I'm not defending T.J. Miller. Don't. No, no one here is. Here. Um, they later bring her back in a Deadpool run. And I don't remember who wrote that Deadpool run, but it was pretty popular. Was it the Posehn one? It might have been. Posehn wrote with somebody. And then I think Posehn left and that guy stayed. But I could be... That's also, like, my limited I'm not 100% sir. It's right around that era, at the least. They changed Negasonic Teenage Warhead to match the movie version because literally no one cared about her original comic version, including me. No one cares about Negasonic Teenage Warhead. But people like the movie one, so it's a very good choice by Marvel. She operates as Deadpool's sidekick, kind of reluctant buddy in that, you know, the same thing she was doing in... I love it. I haven't read those because I don't read Deadpool much, so I don't know much of what went down. I just know all the news sites made a big deal about Negasonic Teenage Warhead is back! Can you tell me if there's a reason for the fucking name? I can, actually. I was gonna say... It's uh, a song title or something? Or it is. Band? I was gonna say, first, let's uh, weigh in. I don't think he needs a redemption. No, I think... From my understanding of the character, I remember looking up uh, uh, after Deadpool to try and, like, who the fuck is this? Um, uh, so, yeah, I think, yeah, you covered everything I else as far as I know. That's about the... And so here's the part I can fill in, because this is a lot of fun. Uh, Negasonic Teenage Warhead, uh, Grant Morrison got the name from a Monster Magnet song entitled Negasonic Teenage Warhead that was written about... Um, the, the lead singer's dislike of all the sort of 
uh, whiny alt rock post grunge and grunge like <laughs> Negasonic Teenage Warhead is a comment on the sound. It's it's a, a negative sound. <laughs> Gonna make fun of late punk, not punk. Late grunge is actually Negasonic Teenage Warhead is a perfect name for that. Yes. Admittedly, kind of shitty. Admittedly, kind of understandable move. The music video was one of the most expensive music videos made at the time it was put out, and it was directed by Gore Verbinski. And along with that, the lead singer of Monster Magnet, Dave Windorf, actually used to sell comics at a comic store in New Jersey, Fantasy Zone, and would sell them to Kevin Smith before either of them got famous. Wow. You have to be one of the only people in the world that knows that little bit of... I love Monster Magnet and Kevin Smith, so... And Grant Morrison. Yeah, and Grant Morrison. A real triple threat of a Venn diagram that's just, like, you in the center. <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically there was no way we were doing an X-Men season and I wasn't bringing up Negasonic Teenage Warhead. Well done, well done. <laughs> well, that's it for today, folks. We're taking off. Before we go, we'd like to remind you to hit subscribe and check out all of our sister shows over at earverm.com. That is E-A-R-V-V-Y-R-M.com. Other ways to get in touch with and follow us will be in the show notes. And as always, we'd like to give a special thanks to our editor, Stephen Gady, and to Ian Ford for our theme song tracks. Until next time, I'm Tyler. I'm Zach. Up, up, and away. Up, up, and away.